Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's exciting times for Liverpool fans across the world. The Indian crew is back once again. We take a look at the Champions League draws that were, the draws that will be, and where our beloved club stands in world football today. This and more on the Indian AI podcast. And before we proceed, I would like to introduce my guest for tonight. We have Shri back on the podcast after a very, very, very long time. Welcome, Shri. And alongside him, we have the one and only Nina Kossa. And for all of you all who aren't aware of this, Nina is from Indian blood, so she rightfully belongs at the Indian podcast. Nina, welcome back. It's been a while since you've joined us. It's been forever. And can I just uh, say something? Thank you so much for having me. And I am I am a proud person because I've been to a football game with both of you. So you know what? Off the bucket list. Very happy with that. Yes, absolutely, Nina. That's fantastic. And we're going to go right into um, what was Shree's first experience of watching a game at Anfield. And it was against West Ham, the one that we won 4-1. Shree, coming to you. Tell us everything from the time you made your journey towards Liverpool, uh, outside the stadium, at the bars, inside the stadium, singing, singing You'll Never Walk Alone after the game, all of it. Please, please share your experience with us. Yeah, so actually it's not my first, it's my second experience. Uh, oh my God, but I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, yes, you went to the Southampton game. Sorry, sorry, my bad. Your second experience, tell us. Yeah, so first non-Liverpool team again, so because Southampton is Liverpool B, so let's ignore that. So in that manner, yes. So uh, I went after what four years. So obviously, yeah, it was an early start because we were driving down to Anfield courtesy Harinder Paji, and I I lived in East End of London, and I needed to make a huge travel to get out, literally outside London. So. I had a quite an early start, around 6.30 in the morning for the 3 p.m. kickoff. So I needed to make a huge journey. Then I met up with Justin Wells. Uh, Anfield Index listeners would know him from the USA pod. So I met up with Justin uh, right outside London. Then we, we both caught up with Paji, who was kind enough for us to get tickets for us. At least for me, he offered his own ticket and then he drove us down to Anfield. So... We made this long drive around four, four and a half hours. Justin obviously had the lion's share of the best seats in terms of the self-massaging seats and all while I was just sitting behind and passing time. So we got to Anfield quite well in advance uh, where we've obviously, uh, I, the last time I went to Anfield, it was before the main stand was redeveloped. All this, uh, all the new things were in there. So for me, it was kind of new because I hadn't seen. So even the club shop looked huge. It was a cramped small place when I last went. 
and this time it looks modern and the main stand was great everything looked it anfield for me for example was unrecognizable and then we obviously first time i met gags i did meet nina so we all met met up pre game i wasn't sitting with them so gags nina and justin were sitting uh, uh, in in another stand right opposite me while i was taking paji's seat that day so i was i was right down the middle as down the middle as one could get like literally my seat was down the center line so i had you could say one of the best seats in the house you know view first row of the upper stand so great view it looks sunny i can promise you it did look sunny but like 30 minutes in i couldn't feel my toes it was that cold air it was quite numb but the game more than made up for me seeing sala live seeing him score as like paji would now be saying what's the fun in seeing sala score he scores every week but for me it was just those one odd occasions <laughs> seeing sala score then obviously having a great game coming off with the victory then again so the return journey was different so return since we wanted to spend more time with at least i wasn't sitting with gags and nina uh instead of going from liverpool to london we actually looked, drove down me justin nina and gags actually drove down from liverpool to manchester uh we did the car pod during that time uh, and then obviously once we got down to manchester we had dinner and nina would still remember it in in the fully crowded restaurant i was wearing the liverpool jersey in manchester he was so, legend absolute legend busy saturday <laughs> night it was busy with people and she was in central manchester in deansgate wearing a liverpool shirt well done so, nina was like don't do this don't do this don't do this and then for me obviously not being used to such a rabbit fan culture it's like nothing's going to happen nina let's just chill i was like internally but i was like nina's warning me there might be some problem but thankfully things passed off well then then we caught the late night uh, late evening you could say around 8 8:30 we got the train from manchester to london and then i had to obviously from central london i had to make the journey back to east london so the day started at around 6 in the morning and ended post midnight i reached home basically at 1 am so one long day during my london session but obviously the best day in terms of meeting people in terms of meeting nina we have talked so much but meeting them is uh, that you would know meeting them is a totally different feeling to than talking on whatsapp or talking on skype so bucket list, but i've told nina when i come back next time uh, one game where we three sit and we don't have a madrid fan next to us <laughs> please uh, please enlighten us on the madrid fan nina i nina can do that Oh well um first of all guys um absolutely love having you guys over it means a huge deal to us as well like it's my bucket list as well i was just so i've always been excited and to share the match experience with you two it's it's just been brilliant and justin as well i mean this madrid fan was sat next to gags uh, i think she had a fair bit to drink um apparently these tickets were a gift for her she's been to old trafford and then she came to anfield and she she just was not happy with what she was watching you know we were 1-0 up and she cuz your team's rubbish to gags she sat with gags i had a pleasant experience justin was in between myself and gags uh but she was like your team's rubbish and you know she was like rubbish core rubbish and she just kept screaming two spanish words dale and ahora like them were her two words but she was just i think she's winding up a lot of people but gags was ready to throttle her and it was quite funny cuz gags is quite um a chilled person 
And for gags to get really annoyed at someone, they must be pretty annoying. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, she, uh, she, she actually had no idea why she was there. None whatsoever. <laughs> well, yeah, well, she is a Madrid fan at the end of the day. So, you know, it's, it's pretty much uh, being on top of the world and kind of thinking that you own everyone else and you're better than everyone else. So I... I kind of understand where that attitude probably came from, but hell, you're at Anfield, so I don't, I don't think the Bernabeu can compare in terms of like atmosphere and, and you know how crazy the fans are. At least, at least from the television set, it doesn't look like that. But um, yeah, so Nina, I, I think uh, it was an absolute. I think I was, I was really lucky to have been able to watch, watch the game with you and Gags by my side because I was gonna, I, I was gonna ask uh, Shri about. Uh, you know, having gags on the side and how he keeps bouncing up and down and whether he was able to witness that. But unfortunately, he wasn't sitting with you guys. But nonetheless, Sri, uh, uh, just some, something more about, you know, the game, actually watching uh, Liverpool play the kind of football that they are playing at the moment. What was that like to actually watch uh, you know, our, our magical son three uh, play at Anfield? Actually, the game, if, uh, if I do recollect, uh, we were waiting. So... The game actually started, the crowd was quite loud and then it actually tapered down till we scored. And then they had a couple of, so obviously they had Patrice Evera, I think that was his first game for West Ham, if I can recollect. So there was a fair few nice words doled out in towards Patrice Evera, but we were quite troubled by Arnautovic, if I can remember during that game. But once the second goal went in, the atmosphere was crazy, I mean, bouncing literally. And the songs were in full flow. And it, it was a different experience. In, in TV, the game looks so fast, while in real life, it does, I actually felt it doesn't look that fast. But even in real life, Salah looks fast. So you can imagine how he looks in, on TV. I mean, in real life, he looks quite rapid. And on TV, obviously, he looks like he's running at a million miles an hour. So it was a different experience, obviously. And then, obviously, once the game, like literally got settled once we were a couple of goals up, then the crowd was settled and it was just pure fan enjoyment post that. Uh, it, it was a great experience. Fresh sunny day in Liverpool. It was cold again. Let's, the sun is just a misnomer. Don't get fooled by the sun. It was <laughs> terribly cold. You could ask Justin. Justin is used to cold weather and he was like, it was quite cold. Uh, and then Gags obviously was doing multitasking while driving, like literally do arranging the mics, coordinating things. He was like, don't do this, don't do this. I'm like, dude, just drive. <laughs> just take care of that. While Nina was literally on the front seat, on more ways than one on the pod. She was sitting in the front and while we were just passing time sitting behind. And then obviously having a great car pod, having great food and then returning back to London. Overall, great experience of something I would want to do again. Fantastic. And I hope, I hope there comes a time, Shri, when you and I can, you know, join Gags and Nina at a game at Ant. Let's make it happen, people. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. And, uh, moving straight into the hardcore stuff, we'll start off with the Champions League draws that were obviously Manchester City. Um, absolutely fantastic performances from Liverpool in both legs, but Shri, starting with you, I'd just like to get your thoughts on how we performed over the two legs as a defensive unit. We we need not we don't have much to say about our attack. We all know that we're fantastic. But did you kind of uh, how did you feel about 
our defensive performance overall. I thought we were quite good. I, uh, the second, obviously, I didn't. You guys would know it. I didn't see the first leg live because I, uh, I was still jet lagged and I couldn't get up actually. So I obviously didn't watch it live. I watched it again later. And the second half kind of reminded me of the first Liverpool City game under Pep, which was at Anfield, where Wijnaldum scores in the first half, and the second half was just a controlled performance in terms of basically nothing happening in the second half. So that's what the second half of the first leg reminded me in terms of no major action, which is good because we are used to like literally having a blood pressure going through the roof when we defend. But obviously, January has changed things. Keeper has changed. Uh, our defense has changed. We're, for the better, you could surely say by now that there's clearly some kind of stability, some kind of continuity. And that's quite important. We have talked this that's like a couple of times about how important stability and continuity is. You just cannot keep rotating your defense and expect them to perform. It just doesn't happen. You need the best defenses you see are one where the, at least three or four of the back five are consistently playing week in, week out. So that's what we have had. Uh, we have a Robo basically playing every week, carriers, Virgil Van Dyke. So three of the five are there. Trent has been playing quite often now and it's just between Matip and Lovren where we have moved a lot. Second leg, first half was something, it, it was worrisome. There is no way. In hindsight, you could say we were great, but it was worrisome. An early goal always puts things in perspective in terms of we had so much more time to defend. It was not like City kept trying and didn't score. They scored quite early. Virgil made a big mistake of not playing to the whistle. And obviously, we were pegged back and we, we, I was just hoping if we, I, one thing I was obviously, it might sound, Obviously, like in hindsight, but what I was thinking, if we get to halftime by 1-0, we are through. The problem was always going to be for me was the second goal because then it's just one more. So I was just hoping we get to 1-0 because I knew the halftime talk was going to be quite critical. I knew Klopp would, Klopp would make it sure. It, it was quite apparent what we were doing. We were getting pressurized on the ball. We were just looking to clear it and turning the ball over. What we needed was to string three or four passes together because obviously we were getting deeper and deeper. The defense was getting deeper, which meant there was no outlet ball. So we obviously needed to step up a bit so that reduce the gap between our defense and midfield, midfield and attack. So I knew we needed to get to get into halftime at 1-0 and then things would turn. And I don't want to say I told you so, but at least it happened that way that we obviously <laughs> turned the game around in the second half. So yeah, those 15-20 minutes of the first half of Second leg was the most scary bit, but once we got through to halftime at 1-0, I was quite confident this was going to be enough. It's actually quite interesting that uh, we've actually progressed so much in terms of how we handled the second half of the first leg and the first half of the second leg, as you pointed out, Sri, because in such situations, we would most definitely expect Liverpool to be quintessentially Liverpool and concede during such pressure, uh, you know, such pressurizing moments. Nina, coming to you, I, I'm just going to take on from what Shri said about um, the defensive display, but mm -hmm. the first half of the second leg, uh, I, I would like to know your thoughts on the reaction that uh, the team kind of gave after after City scored. There was a bit of panic for a few minutes mm -hmm. after the goal, but but they seem to have really collected themselves and not gotten too rattled up by that. So was this a kind of a surprise for you or how do you look at it? You know, it's 
I remember it live and I think Cherie's absolutely spot on. Watching it made me very nervous, uneasy, restless. It's because they scored within two minutes and this, and then their fans started believing that the comeback was on. And I think as well, the thing that really freaked me out about that game was, uh, club, um, Pep went with like this whole attacking sort of team, which he had to. He was 3-0 down. You expect that from Pep Guardiola. You know, throw, throw the kitchen sink at Liverpool, see what happens. And our team could not string a pass together. And I don't think they strung five passes together consistently. And it was really frustrating to watch. But then you have to give so much credit for Manchester City for the way they played. I thought we were a little bit lucky. I thought, you know, some of the decisions were a little our way with, the, you know, I think the offside goal, which I think should have stood. But these things happen in football. I I look back now and I think you've both, both made some really excellent points. And I think when I look back now, any other season under any other manager, bar Rafa Benitez, even under Jurgen Klopp, we concede in those moments because we exactly. can't handle that kind of pressure. And we were losing that midfield battle. And we're speaking about the defence. They did a phenomenal job. And they did. I think as well, one of the biggest takeaways that I take from that game was the simple fact that Emre Jean, who is notorious for having great games against Manchester City, did not feature in that game. And we won. And to me, that is a massive positive. Not not the positive as in, oh, we don't have Emre Can. I mean that the team stepped up. And not just Emre Can, Nina, even even Felipe Coutinho, one of our stand-up yes. players against Man City and scores it every time. Mm-hmm. It's magical goals and both of them weren't there. So and we still we still pulled it off. And and, and the best part is I, I don't think anyone expected us to win both the games. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? I Three. think I, I I was just obviously winning all the overall ties is different thing, but winning each leg is obviously a far more special moment. But I was going to ask Nina. Nina, imagine someone telling you in preseason, let alone Liverpool won getting to quarterfinals. That's a different thing. Mm. Then playing Manchester City, two, mm. carrying a lead in obviously carrying a big lead, and then actually playing against a Pep Guardiola team with Genie Wijnaldum as your number six. Mm. There is no chance in hell anyone says we get through. Genie Wijnaldum last played number six, obviously, before Everton was in pre-season, almost. In terms of a defined role, he did play a couple of games, I can remember, in the pre-season. But actually do it, I think somebody made this point in terms of one of the WhatsApp groups. This is almost like you have, where Rafa played Arbolova on the left to counter Messi. That's the thing. I did. You had a week, they put him on two games, had training sessions, just put them in. Uh, that's the comparison I could think of. But to actually win both legs with literally having your captain out, not having Emre Chan, who's, who shined on European nights, as Nina said before. Absolutely yeah. impossible. I couldn't even think. I, 3-0, I knew we would get through. Obviously, half-time, surely I was quite sure then we would get through. But to actually win the away leg, I mean, City were undefeated. Mm. You're talking about Premier League champions winning by a country mile in the league. And there's an argument to be made. Maybe where did they not have enough competition? But that was not our problem. We 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 were the best. I was just going to say to both of you guys as well. Remember watching the first half of the second leg, Manchester City. And, you know, know, we, we pretty much all agree that, you know, City just stopped us from playing because they were playing this insane 
at this insane pace. And by yeah. the time the second half, once the whistle blew for first half, I think we kind of took comfort in the fact that we kind of knew that they couldn't keep that intensity up. It would have and been we impossible. Couldn't, we, we couldn't get any worse either. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, you cannot have a team in the quarterfinals who can't play four passes. There's no right that you can get into the quarterfinals if you can't string four passes together. Obviously, things had to change, and things did change. And pre-game, second day, one was the Wijnaldum factor, but you know, the pre-game talk was how Sane was going to slaughter Trent. Yeah, didn't happen. Right. We're gonna, we're gonna, happen. we're gonna definitely, definitely talk about trends a little later in the podcast for sure. That guys, that kid has been simply amazing. But uh, so this entire Man City uh, draw has kind of made made me wonder, you know, is is this a season like a one-off season for us, or is this really the foundation for a wonderful future that Klopp is kind of building at Liverpool Football Club? Because you know, we had obviously one brilliant season, uh, 2013-14, but clearly it turned out to be a one-off. We lost Suarez after that, but it, out here we we're playing some brilliant football. Mm-hmm. We lost arguably arguably one of our best players in Felipe Coutinho, but that that has not, you know, that has not moved us at all. In fact, we're performing better <laughs> since he's left. So, how do you guys feel about this? Like, do you feel that this is a strong foundation, or it's going to be a case of, of, you know, kind of like a a curious case for next season. Uh, do you want me? I'll I'll go first. I think Darsh. I think it's ever. It's a lot different to thirteen fourteen because what we had in thirteen fourteen was one player in Luis Suarez who elevated everyone else's performances, who made everyone else better around him, and it, he was pretty much the the pinnacle of everything. And that team was very very questionable in defense. I think what we have here is a manager with a project, with a philosophy. And, you know, I don't want to blow smoke up his backside because, you know, we're not about that. But I think every every single player that he's bought, I don't think he's bought a flop or a dud. Even the likes of, like, Carriers are coming good now. You know, people can see why maybe he should be number one. Maybe we shouldn't really look for another goalkeeper because he's growing in confidence week in, week out. I, and also, add, add Naby Keita to the mix as well next season. Another important factor is the attack is so on steroids. It is, and the assists are coming from everywhere. It's, it's a simple fact that the, the team works as a unit and it all works together. Defensively, we look better. We've bought, we've genuinely bought a world class defender in Virgil van Dijk. This guy is actually building for a future. He's actually building a machine. He's not just focusing on one thing. I think everything is coming together nicely. He's got two young fullbacks, which of course you, you said you're going to speak about Trent later. But I genuinely feel that this, to me, it doesn't feel like a one-off season because us, our sort of superstar man right now is Mo Salah. Everyone can't stop talking about him. It's his first season here. It's not his third. He's not looking, for, he's not angling for a move away. Coutinho's gone, our superstar, and I was concerned, and a lot of people were concerned, thinking, what is going to happen to us? You know, he's been our biggest departure since Luis Suarez. Not really felt it. Not felt it at all. Sri, Sri, coming to you, uh, your thoughts on what you feel about the season? I think think the key thing is about the fact that it looks like, at least as on date, that we are going to have 
Champions League for consecutive seasons. And it's been quite a while. So you could say that this is definitely one, not one of, because we have two seasons in a row where it looks like we're going to get Champions League. And whether the Champions League is going to be a one off or not, we'll never know because we are going to only know when what happens next year. But Klopp's European performance has been good. He's taken us to a Europa final. Now, obviously, we have gone into a Champions League semi final. So his European pedigree, at least with us, is quite good. We have had two seasons of Champions League. There has been definite progress. The only, only blemish you could say of Klopp's reign is not winning a domestic trophy yet. He almost got there against City, but that, that's the only thing maybe Klopp would look at next year. He, he said he's going to look at this year itself, but didn't work out. But obviously, Champions League semi-final is a huge feat by itself. So I think the key is going to be, as Nina said, one touch wood. It looks like we are not going to lose our best player. So it's always been when we have had a breakout season, we lose our best player. It's it's Suarez. Uh, we have lost Suarez. We have lost Sterling. We have lost Coutinho. But Touchwood, it looks like we are going to build upon a breakthrough. Let's assume even if it's a breakthrough year. But for me, it feels like year two of three. And I think this club, what this club mainly needs is consistent championship. Let's not forget when Rafa was there, we took it for granted. And once he left, and when we didn't have Champions League, we knew how much we slipped behind. Obviously, we we have so much to catch up to because there has been years of inactivity, basically because not competing at the highest level. So it's going to obviously take time. We have our own way of building. Klopp has his own way of building. Can be frustrating at times, but obviously it looks to have worked out well considering at this point of the season. So obviously for me, this surely doesn't look one of his European pedigrees, top class. He's obviously consistently is going to look like proving second season in a row. 300 goals in 148 games, eight clean sheets out of 12. This is not a one-off. I think staying with the Champions League, we uh, it's time for us to actually look forward and look look forward to the Roma game, of course. Uh, just a few thoughts about the Roma game. Obviously, historically, this is uh, this is this is a great clash considering you know Roma and Liverpool had the, the classic 1984 final, which we ultimately won. And of course, the Mosala Derby. So, uh, considering how Roma is placed currently, uh, they, they have not conceded a single goal at home in the Champions League. This is, this is a huge, huge statistic for us to consider. Uh, Nina, coming to you, uh, what are your thoughts on, on the Roma game and what, what do you expect from it? Well, it's, Probably the most favourable t- um, t- game fixture that we could have asked for. It's the semi-finals. No game is easy. They probably feel the same way. They'd rather play us in opposed to like a superstar giant club. I think both of us are underdogs. So there will definitely be an underdog team in the final, which I think the neutrals will be very happy with. I, I think as well, they're a team that you shouldn't like definitely should not underestimate or disrespect because they were in a very, very difficult group and they topped that group with Chelsea and Atletico Madrid in there. You know, they they topped that group. And of course, what they did to Barcelona as well, you know, uh, a lot of people thought that tie was done and dusted. And you've got to give them so much respect and credit. Of course, I didn't watch the game. You have highlights to watch, but I don't think highlights really give a true representation of what's happened in the game because obviously it is essentially just the best parts of the game. But from my humble opinion, it genuinely, genuinely does look like that maybe Barca may have underestimated them, thought that this tie was done, this game was done, underestimated them. I spoke to Gab Marcotti and obviously he, he spoke to me about this game and what they did. And 
I think one thing we all know is Roma has some veteran sort of players in, in, in their team and they outpressed Barcelona, which is quite alarming, you know, considering, you know, this is Barcelona, but they just outpressed them and they continue to do so for the, you know, the entire 90 minutes. It's going to be very interesting. I think as well, I don't think we will disrespect them. Maybe like, maybe like the Barcelona team did, uh, you know, in Rome. I don't think we'll do that. I think we they are determined we're determined although um i do take some confidence because i actually watched the rome derby last night it was on tv and i don't know if you guys watched it i know it'd be really late for you guys um but defensively there's so many gaps and so many spaces and you know you only think you know you're watching and you only think oh my god you know like our front three might have some joy against that but then on the flip side to that you've got a veteran in Eden Jekyll who has it's like 94 minutes and he has two amazing chances in the dying minutes so there's that threat as well so it's it's going to be a really interesting game I think the midfield will be crucial because I think they've got some key players there we'll see how we shape up and if Emre Jan is past fit but for me, I'm actually very excited. I I think I'm quite positive. Yeah, Nina, thanks. I'm I'm super excited about this draw because I think it's it's kind of equal in so many ways. Mm. Like you said, you said you know we're both underdogs, so you obviously I I would believe considering how things have been going lately that Liverpool would kind of go into this draw slightly being the favourite. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know especially because of the attacker we have. Uh, but I think overall, it, it's great that two underdogs are playing each other in the semi-finals because like one of them gets to be in the finals. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Sri, mm. uh, coming to you, your thoughts on the Roma draw and what kind of game do you expect this to pan out? I think one of the things which came up, pre, at least the pre-talk before the draw, was that some people were actually of the opinion that getting Bayern or Madrid might be you. Better for us, one, obviously the underdog tag, but two was the fact that they would attack us and that would mean we could counterattack. So that was one of the views which was emerging. And obviously there was the stereotypical attitude that, oh, Roma, Roma, Syria, they are just going to defend. So obviously we had these two points of view. For one, as Nina said, yes, uh, in terms of the Rome derby, one, they are decent in def- defense, but I wouldn't say they are any better than us. And in terms of the second leg, they played some weird formation. Like in an attack, it was almost like a 3-2-5 or something like that. And which reverted to some kind of a 3-5-1-1 in defense. So it it was a weird formation for that second leg because obviously they needed to go for it. But even then, even then, they especially I would be interested to see if Roma play back three. Because we have seen what happens when teams play back three against us. It just doesn't work because before the back three used to work because we had literally no one who could influence the game from the wide areas in terms of the fullbacks. But now we have really two attacking fullbacks and you don't want to give them space. So it used to work, say, a season before where we had Klein and, say, Milner who would literally give us nothing from wide areas. So three back three work because otherwise we would be concentrated on the center. But now obviously a back three is going to be a huge problem. And two, back three is a problem and teams who struggle for pace are going to be easy meet for our attack. I'm not saying the Roma game is going to be easy, but it's a problem for them. Their, uh, their defenders aren't known for their pace. 
definitely not so that that is the area where we have to look to exploit they play a back three isolate obviously the center backs because that's their weak link in terms of pace and what we have is outright pace so obviously in terms of strength versus weakness it, it looks like a good match to have obviously roma have a really strong spine in terms of daniel de rossi to play uh, uh, they have a strong team and the barcelona game was one where they played literally you could say a two up top like they have jeco and shik uh, play, play patrick shik playing behind him so uh, we haven't been used to playing teams having two up top so if they do put out two up top it's going to be interesting to see because we are used to having one attacker up front so it's going to be a lot of interesting mini battles within the home whole game so it's going to be an interesting two like on paper it looks an even fight slightly favoring us because of our insane form in attack but it's a champions league semi final you could say form book could go out of the window but i think we have too much of momentum coming into the game so hopefully if, if paper translates to actual form we should have a slight edge and i also think the uh, there's a psychological aspect to roma as well considering the, the manner in which they beat barcelona and it, it was barcelona at the end of the day so they're going to come to anfield with so much belief that they can beat anyone like people talk about uh, liverpool not fearing anyone after having you know literally like thrown out fancy beating them in both the legs uh, but i also feel that roma are coming into this into this draw with so much of psychological boost and confidence and um, i'm really really hoping that Liverpool don't pull off a Barcelona and you know take them for granted and be complacent about it because it's going to be an absolute heavyweight clash. I know by I know Bayern and Real Madrid is the heavyweight clash here but I think uh Liverpool and Roma is going to have a lot to offer as well. Uh guys, I think uh staying with Champions League, we really really need, need to talk about Trent because that guy has surprised so many people for being just 19. So Gerard had mentioned in his book that Trent is quite a lad and has a mean streak in him and he has every potential to turn out to be a top professional at Liverpool Football Club. Uh Nina I'm going to come to you uh your thoughts on Trent and how he's progressed and 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 the, and the important role that he plays in in the squad at the moment. I think uh, just like everyone else I absolutely love him. Uh I find it so hard to believe that he's 19 years old i mean i think the thing that impresses me most about him is is the fact that you know in the league he, he had he had a few games where people were like oh that was a bad game for trent but people are really forgiving because he's only 19 but he bounces back from those um from those difficult sort of games or those moments in his career you know you've got to remember his first like sort of senior appearance was at old trafford and you know he he did the number on uh, martial You know that was his first time ever uh, you know just absolutely incredible and I think the one thing that I absolutely love about Trent I love Trent as a whole anyway but for me in the Champions League he has been incredible and I think he started off the campaign as he meant to go on you know let's not forget that goal against Hoffenheim he's just incredible I think what he did to Leroy Sané and you know people are trying to exploit him they know that you know he's young he might make an error here or there what he did to Leroy Sané in, in you know over both legs but in the first leg the way he just sort of kept him in his pocket was just absolutely phenomenal he's just shown so much maturity and you know 
Leroy Sane is probably one of the best wingers in uh, in world football right now. And for him to nullify him over two legs, to show maturity, to not cower, has just been absolutely tremendous. Um, I think another great thing is the fact that I think when Klein got injured um, and was out, we were all probably a little worried as to who's going to play right back because Klein was such a constant. But then you've had Trent and Gomez kind of rotate the role and both of them have been slogging out for it, fighting for it. And I know Gomez is out injured right now, but Trent has so stepped up. And, you know, um, it's 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 nice when, you know, one of your senior players in, in Klein is an afterthought because this kid is really stepping up. And I think... I think it really helps and, you know, I hate, you know, well, it's not that I hate to go down this road, but I think I love the fact that he's Scouse. I think that's kind of important, you know, that local element, you know, you could see what it meant to him, uh, you know, in those Champions League games. And I think, I think it's crucial. And the way he speaks as well, he speaks with such maturity, like he wants to be future Liverpool captain and stuff. And you can certainly see it. He's got all the goods in his locker. He's only 19. Scary thing is, Scary thing for everyone else, he's just going to get better. Absolutely better. It also reminds me of, uh, uh, it kind of takes me back to when Raheem Sterling was playing for us and he was a 19-year-old doing quite well and getting a lot of limelight. And I just feel like both these guys at that age have handled the situation differently. Obviously, Trent is just uh, starting to get the limelight. He's starting to perform. But Raheem, obviously... You know, he was his attacking player and got a lot of attention from local fans and from, you know, from the manager and everyone and probably didn't handle, um, all of that too well. So I agree with you, Nina, in, in the sense that I, I love his attitude. I absolutely love it. I love watching his post-match interviews because I think he is just a gem, like an absolute gem. Like he loves the football club. And, and like you said, that matters, that matters so much. Uh, Shri, coming to you, uh, your thoughts on, on Chen. I think obviously, as Nina said, he couldn't have had a better start in terms of the season. He's obviously stepping up at that age to actually take take a shot, take the free kick and actually scoring, set the ball rolling, you would say. And obviously, the Sane versus Trent was going to be the huge factor when the leg was, it was like how, especially because he was, let's not forget his disappointing performance in terms of the United game. But he just got caught aerially, which is something which we have seen happen to Gomez as well a couple of times. But Sane was going to be a different channel. His ability to cut in or also hold the line was going to be challenging. But it, it, he almost performed like a veteran, you could say, at 19 years. And obviously, he's also carried that momentum into Premier League. Obviously, great performance even the weekend against Bournemouth. A couple of uh, assists for him. So yeah. it's been an outstanding season. It's It's almost like now... It's going to be a proper fight between Klein and uh, Trent because we know what Klein offers. He offers stability. But one thing which we struggled was especially the lack of width or lack of attacking intent from the wide areas. And Trent, Trent, I think mainly because of his experience playing in midfield for the youth, thinks has this ability. His, his crossing is unbelievable for his age in terms of the threaded carries. And his ability to just carry the ball and deliver some from wide areas, I think that's going to be a huge factor. So it's, I wouldn't be surprised if Trent still gets a lot of games next season, where we, especially if teams start playing again, put out back threes against us, then width is going to be of crucial importance. So I see Trent getting a lot of games even there. Do you see him moving into midfield at some point, Chase? 
Carragher, at least in one of the Monday Night Footballs, like nobody ever becomes fullback. As a fullback, you're either a failed centre-back or a failed winger. Mm. That's what Cara usually used to say. So you graduate into fullbacks. So it's going to be interesting. It's it's almost like a la Philip Lam in his last season with Guardiola, where Guardiola known for his eccentricity plays a back two. He played he played a literally a two three five, where Lam was playing as a roving kind of a centre back come midfielder. So yeah, he he has the game to obviously play in the midfield, but obviously it's going. We have to see whether Klein is. Since he's been out for a year, whether is it is it going to be a start of hopefully not, but whether there are obviously when you're out for so long, you're going to get a lot of small small niggles. He's going to be out for ten days here, fifteen days there. So there is still in, but I would clearly say Trent is now above Joe Gomez in terms of the picking order. Clearly, so the season we we saw that Gomez was preferred, and then Trent got some games, but obviously this so Gomez due unfortunately due to his injury, but. Trent has taken the opportunity with both hands and he's clearly gone up the picking order. So I'm going to see him play fullback at least next season. There's no reason to to push him into midfield, especially if considering Ox the season he's had and Nabiketa coming in. I don't think midfield is a place where we are stuck too much. Obviously, Emre Chan is leaving. We might need to buy a but maybe Marco Gruich comes back because he's been really good for Cardiff. Uh, I know it was not on the agenda, but he's been quite solid for Cardiff and the performances have been really good when he's played. So obviously midfield might not be the priority next year. I could see uh-huh. him get a, another year in, at fullback. And Alexander Arnold, 19 years old, two man of the match performances in the quarterfinals of the Champions League against the best team in England and the Premier League champions. I just I just think that's absolutely unbelievable. I'm just gonna leave this at that and and now guys we move on from the young to the old. James Milner. I mean, the most number of assists in the Champions League this season. Who would have thought? Adi is somewhere, whenever he hears it, he's going to be chuckling away. Nina, your thoughts on James Milner? I can't believe he's been putting in shifts in midfield. You know, uh, this time last year, we, we were all sick of the sight of him playing left back for Liverpool. I think one of the things that has really aided him is the fact that he's not playing week in, week out. I think Klopp realises that he is a utility guy. He can cover, you know, different positions. He does add some, you know, I don't know, some um, assurance off the left side of the midfield for Robertson because he's played left back so he can double up there. I think as well... um, the fact that he faced his former team in Manchester City as well in in the Champions League as well, and you know delivered such a a, a fabulous uh, performance certainly at the Etihad despite all the booze, I'm sure he's used to it. But I I think it's been a long time since we've sat here and said James Milner's awful, and I think that's largely down to the fact that Klopp it it goes a lot down to Klopp's management of him in my opinion. I think if he was playing week in week out in midfield, I think we'd all be pretty furious with him or we'd see some of the inconsistencies a lot of the inconsistencies of last season because at left back last season he started off so well that's not a slight on James Milner age is a factor and these things happen and I think you know Roma have these veterans and it's great that one of our you know our most senior player has got the most assists. I think it's brilliant. And I I love the fact that he is uh, coming up good. You know what What I find so funny in all this is, James Milner is the veteran, but 
he he's not actually the most experienced player in the Champions League for us. It's Oxley Chamberlain, which just tells you everything you need to know about this squad, <laughs> about how inexperienced it is in the Champions League. And here they are in the semi final. Mental. Nina, do you do do you do you see him starting in the semi finals against Roma? I think it's a given. I actually no, actually I don't think it's a given. I think um he probably won't start. Um if he does, it won't be a bad thing. I think the midfield will probably be it all depends on Jordan Henderson and of course he could play now. Um I think it's gonna be Ginny and uh Jordan Henderson and Ox. Or if one player that's right, going or, or, or if one player falls out, it'll probably be Ginny for Milner. I think that's gonna be the swap. Right, Ox, Ox I, I believe, after his performances, he's definitely going to be starting for us against Roma. Uh, Shri, coming to you, your thoughts on James Milner? I think Nina summed it perfectly well. What we said last season was he's okay at fullback, but we don't want him playing at midfield ever. He just doesn't have the legs. So that was always a scare. But to actually see him putting performance after performance, and he's, let's not forget, the main thing which we value, as Nina said, is his experience. Uh, one of the complaints we had against the team was we struggled to close out games. And obviously, he's, I'm not saying he's been the only factor, but he's been a definite factor in helping us close out games. He, obviously, Virgil carriers have helped, but the con- ability to control games from midfield is something which we are not used to because we were always playing in one gear. And Milner was one of the first few to acknowledge that maybe we need to do things differently when we are in leads. He acknowledged it sometime early in the season, also saying we maybe we are always playing in one mode, and he's played a huge part in how we are progressing. Number of assists in Champions League, top of the charts. Talk about who are we talking about? Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Neymar, Bale. We are we have so many. Literally, you could say top of the shelf stars, Luka Modric, and here we are talking about. James Milner, who we didn't even want to play in midfield last season, is top of the Champions League assists. Unbelievable. But that's how our season has unfolded. Absolutely unbelievable. Guys, let's move on to, obviously, the guy that the whole world is talking about right now, the Egyptian king, Mohamed Salah. Um, obviously, he's been absolutely fantastic and it's absolutely crazy for he goals in one season. He's breaking records and all of that. And normally when something like that happens with a player at Liverpool Football Club, he more or less uh, falls under the rumour radar and more or less tends to leave the next season. Now, obviously, there's a lot of uh, link-ups and rumours about Real Madrid coming in, swooping in and taking him away. So I just thought I'd, I'd get your guys' thoughts on how realistic these rumours are. Uh, Nina, starting with you. You know what? It winds me up and i just got to say two things. Fuck off he's literally just been here for one season he's not going anywhere the way we play suits him he looks very happy he's breaking records he's in a semi-final he's actually a big part of something big that is happening at Anfield and at Liverpool I I just think it's nonsense being talked up by you know like say the Spanish press I we've also had people for on Media Matters uh, from, you know, um, Ali Khaled, who, who covers, um, our, um, Gulf football, Middle Eastern football. And it's just talked up from that part of the world because to them, the biggest move 
in the world, the most talked up move, the most superstar prestigious club is Real Madrid. And everyone wants to play at Real Madrid because it's a show busy club. I get that. I can't see the man and his character and how he is, him leaving in a season. And I don't think we are stupid enough to let him go after a season. I just think it's it's a mute point for me. It's a mute point. Like, just move on. He's not going. She also, for, for any club to want to come in and take a player based on his performance in one, just, just on one season would also kind of be unrealistic. I think one, Nina has talked about the person he is, but let's not also forget the way Liverpool plays suits Salah down to the T. How many teams are going to play to Salah's strengths? That is what we need to think. Are Real Madrid essentially going to play to Salah's strengths? Might not. They will, they usually play to Ronaldo's strengths and I don't see it changing. Can Barcelona play like Barcelona are a team which are conditioned to occupy spaces or open the half spaces, get Messi and Suarez in? Are they going to be a team who's going to play to Salah's strengths? Not necessarily. It's, there is a reason why this has been his breakout season. He's had great seasons when he was on loan at Fiorentina. He's had a couple of great years at Roma. That's mm-hmm. the reason. It's not like he's, he scored 20 a season and he's moved to 25. It's not a, just a gradual jump. We are talking about 40 goals in a season with so many, potentially seven to eight, seven or eight games left minimum. Mm-hmm. He could potentially hit 50 goals. It's, it's, this is a season defining jump, you could say. Mm-hmm. And it's because our, our style are so suited to him. Because obviously, like how he himself said that, First thing, first look for is to get Kane on the ball. We literally look for getting Salah on the ball. And mm-hmm. one of the things we talked early in the season was we had paced down one of the wings with Mane. And now having Salah is going to be so much more trouble because it's it's we are not a one-trick pony. We are having pace on either sides. We are having a midfielder who can drive down. We are having Firmino who could play as a midfielder, who could play as a number nine. He's going to... It's going to cause so much trouble because Firmino drops. The, the centre-backs have no clue. Should they step up? They step up, they're screwed by the wingers. If you don't mm. step up, the midfield steps up with Firmino and they overload. They have no clue what to do. And I don't think the dynamic of how the team plays in terms of counter-attacking, in terms of the counter-pressing, in terms of quick transition. How many teams play like this where Salah teams, how many teams are there who play this style, mm. who can afford Salah and Salah wants to go, which is a step up from Liverpool. Mm. I would say zero currently. Can I just answer Daj's um, question as well? She goes, can, will they buy him after one breakout season? They've bought yes, players yes. after, they've bought players after an impressive World Cup. Let's not forget James Rodriguez. Mm, this is Real Madrid. Yeah. Impulsive buyers. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, Sri, just, just staying with you, uh, do you actually think like, this is, this is how we look at it. This is how we analyze our players. And this is what we think that, you know, he's the perfect fit for Liverpool. But from a player's perspective, when you find out that, that Real fucking Madrid want you, does all this really matter? Do you think, do you think Salah is going to sit down and think that, you know, am I going to be able to score 40 goals a season at Madrid? It's Real Madrid. I should go. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. I agree. Obviously, Real are a huge team, but the question is whether he, see, one thing we knew was he wanted to come back to England. And he, because he felt that his strength suited England, there was a reason. Obviously, he was having great seasons at Roma. Roma had got, it was not like Roma had a failure season. They had mm. got to the Champions League. There was no reason 
nobody would have questioned if he continued to stay there but he knew one he knew that england was his next step whether he thinks that in one season he's already moved on to the next step is only something he will know but i i think he understands large amount of how he's performed is down to as i said before that how liverpool and klopp have set up the team and he also yeah. understands that the players we are going to one thing we know with klopp he he has a template and he's buying players for his template as nina said there has been no failure because we aren't just randomly putting to a, together a team imagine last day of the season we signed ox for 35 million a guy whose contract was ending very soon mm-hmm. a guy who had what scored handful of goals over what six eight seasons a guy who had never gone past uh, who's never got past literally the round of 16 in champions league paying 35 million for you could say an overrated english center midfielder at that time that's what everybody said who would pay 35 million for ox but what we are having is the drive from midfield and it's almost like we have seen a mini keita before keita has arrived keita obviously has this insane dribbling skills that is a different but what we are having is the drive from midfield the ability to just transition box to box and obviously he needed time to settle he didn't get a start till november but now ox looks a definite player so again wijnaldum for all his criticism has controlled games has turned games he, he's been so underrated in terms of so there is a clear plan as to who club buys he buys players for the reason sala was bought for reason so in that way as nina said it's very fair that none of his signings have been a dud because it's all it's almost like putting pieces in a puzzle there are a lot of open gaps and he's just finding the right piece to fit in the puzzle and that's how so he knows that, and sala realizes he, obviously navigator is coming in next year and there are going to be more fit fitments into this puzzle called liverpool and he knows the only way we can progress is up there is stability it's not again to rate it one of the but we are not selling players when we have had a breakthrough season so i i obviously touch wood i don't think it's going to happen but i think he's too intelligent to know that this team is set up to cater to his needs and if he has any personal ambition like balland or or anything like that he knows liverpool is the best place he could achieve it well said she and that takes us beautifully to our final um, final section on this podcast i want to get your thoughts on how liverpool is currently positioned in the football market considering you know we're potentially playing champions league next season we're in the semi finals this season we're playing an absolutely fantastic brand of football everybody wants to watch liverpool games everyone finds it an interesting and entertaining team to watch and obviously the kind of goals that that liverpool scored unbelievable so putting all these factors together and of course how can i forget the most important factor for my my opinion chief is is jurgen klopp himself mm-hmm. putting all these factors together nina coming to you do you think that going into the summer transfer window uh liverpool's position as a football club in the market is actually a step higher raised to a much better level than it was last year I think if we kind of hit Champions League football back to back seasons which looks very very likely it looks like we're going to get top 4 again I think you know that is a massive sell because I know people laugh at you know Champions League football but that's what attracts players I think that was something that people were like kind of a little bit conservative about when it came to Brendan Rodgers because they thought hmm we don't really know you 
you just finished second. Is this a flash in the pan or are you the real deal? Which is why, you know, a lot of players didn't come. And I think had Brendan Rodgers had that situation, position where he did have another great season the following after, maybe he would have been a lot more um, adventurous and had a lot more joy in the transfer window. I think this is Jurgen Klopp. It's a different kettle of fish. I think he shops in a different market. I think another thing you need to consider as well is how Liverpool finish in this Champions League. You know, we're all hoping if Liverpool are crowned European champions in Kiev, the stock goes very high. We become a, a, a place of interest again because people will know the brand of football that we're playing. They know that Jurgen Klopp is buying good players. There's a good project here and it becomes genuinely quite exciting. And they know that there's Champions League football again next season, which means this team is progressing. It's growing stronger, which means the following year, more players come. It's just one of them. And that's not only important to attracting players, it's also important to keeping players. Like we've just had that discussion about more Salah. You've got to keep the players that you have happy as well. And what better way to do that than to play Champions League football and to be in a chance of winning it? Hey, any, anything you want to add to what Nina said? I think obviously all those points, what Nina said is quite important in terms of obviously we are, we are shopping at a higher level. Provided we are indeed okay to spend, that is one thing. But let's not forget, Klopp has been quite clear in saying he would buy players for whom Liverpool is not just an option. Liverpool are the option. Yes. And, and that is the kind of players he's looking. Let's not forget two things. One, he wants players who want to play for Liverpool. And obviously, as we have talked before, he has a kind of a template in terms of what he wants in a team, which means mm-hmm. that He's looking for clearly defined roles or clearly players who fit clearly defined roles. We might not imagine those players in those roles, but he's thought about certain players in certain roles. Now, it's what this does is maybe he doesn't need to settle for a plan, a choice B or a choice C. Choice A becomes gettable, and that's where I think consistent Champions League helps. Mm-hmm. It helps you actually try to get your top choice. But mm-hmm. let's not forget. Klopp hasn't always got his top choices and it hasn't hurt us. A lot of players he's bought have not necessarily been his top choices. Maybe, maybe it was his own point uh, in terms of choice B or uh, the committee who's around him helped him identify players. That, that's for a different. Let's not talk about the committee versus the coach anymore. It's, it's no longer a factor. But in terms of at least what we want to achieve, there's a clearly defined purpose, clearly defined roles identified for prospective targets. It's just that Liverpool becomes a better sell. But ultimately, Klopp ideally wants players where he doesn't need to sell Liverpool. They want to come to Liverpool. So that doesn't change at all. Well, that's perfect, guys. I I really hope that we can make it all the way to Kiev. Of course, thinking about lifting the Champions League trophy is kind of, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get, get so far ahead of myself, but, uh, let's hope we do well in Roma and we do well, um, to make it to Kiev. Guys, thank you so much. One thing yeah. though, Nina, I want, uh, Nina and Dutch want to say, if we do make to Kiev, I'm quite sure Gags will make it there, but if we would win, would he make it back? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Whether he's going to have the energy to even make it back, I'm quite not sure. But hopefully for him and at least if Nina is, is having a chance of going, hopefully we do it. You know what? I hope we do it because I need new stories. We need new stories of him constantly telling us, I was there when we won at Istanbul <laughs> and I was behind that goal where all the goals were in. I need new stories, people. I think we all do. So you know what, Liverpool? Huh? Do it for us, yeah? 
<laughs> we also need stories in 2025 when players sign for us. We, we ask, what were you doing on the day at Kiev rather than Istanbul? <laughs> exactly. We need a different exactly. interview. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, we need we need it simply so that people, you know, other fans can't tell us, okay, you know, Istanbul is done and over with. We have we need to have something else now to kind of add to Istanbul. So yeah, definitely. Um, Nina, before we go, uh, I just wanted to ask you. I mean, I'm compelled to ask you rather, but you know, how you feel about Buffon and the red card? You know what? This is just bang out. We're meant to be, we're brother and sisters, you know, Indians and Kashmiris, and look at you opening up healed wounds. I'm trying to move on with my life, people. Um, you know what? I was absolutely devastated. Um, I, I've got to just say it. I was devastated for the man, um, in the circumstances that they, it happened. They were very nearly going to cause an upset. It looked like they were going to take him to extra time. I know yeah. there's been a lot of press and hating on him. Um, hating on Gigi Buffon and saying that, you know, he was irresponsible and, you know, he's acting like a spoiled little brat, yada, yada, yada. Okay, I get that. But I think people are forgetting the human element of Gigi Buffon. What you need, what you need to remember is this guy has been playing football all his life since he was, he was a kid. He broke out as a teenager. All he's ever known is to play football, be a goalkeeper. And now that is coming to an end for him. In his last season, he's seen his national team flunk out of the World Cup, first time in 50 years. And then this, like, this is his last year. Like, yeah. I think people forget that. People forget that. Mm. He's thinking, this is my last season. Oh, my God, Italy, I'm not qualified for the World Cup. I'm not going there. And now I've gone out the Champions League. You know what? Give him a little respect because he's a human and he probably doesn't want to bow out like that. That's my thought. I absolutely agree with you, Nina. I mean... Seriously, this is uh, this is Buffon we're talking about, and no World Cup for him. It's horrible. Almost, mm. almost, almost, kind of knocked out Real Madrid and have that last-minute goal by Ronaldo. I, I mean, it's 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 really hard. So I'm completely with you on this. I just. I was just compelled to ask you that question. <laughs> Nina, thank you so much. I know she will put you up to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say, Nina, it's ironic the beginning of this Juventus era was due to Zidane. And is it the end of an era due to Zidane again? You would know the Zidane link. Yeah, uh, you know what? I absolutely hate you, Shri. Always, always, <laughs> always taking the mick at me at every opportunity. My little bit of nugget information that comes to bite me on the backside. Yes, it started with Zidane. It ended with Zidane. I'm sure Gigi Buffon actually said in an interview, they got him, how are you going to, how are you going to end you a bow out? And he goes, maybe I'll do with Zidane or something. Fucking weird. <laughs> he, he, didn't, he didn't headbutt, but you know, um, he did go a bit off on one, but. Yeah, I think people want, I think people are saying, oh, he's gone, he's a zero now and, you know, he's tarnished his legacy. Nah, he's not. Oh, Red Card tarnished his legacy, huh? Mm-hmm. English media. That's what people are saying, okay. yeah. English yeah. media, yeah. English media, English ref. <laughs> Buffo is a legend. Let's just end it at that and nothing's going to change that. No Red Card, nothing. Uh, Nina, Thank you so much for joining us after such a long time. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. Loved it. Happy times. We spoke about some good stuff. <laughs> uh, Shri, thanks as always. It's also been a pleasure to have you on after such a long time. Welcome back. And no thank problem. you to all our listeners for tuning in. We'll be back soon. Thank you.
Podcast Network.